Welcome to Ebenezer Baptist Church on December 9th, 2012. Today's message is titled, Singing with Mary by Pastor Ryan Cochran, and is based on scripture, Luke chapter 1, verses 39 to 56. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for what we have heard today and have listened to, Lord, for uh, moments of quiet reflection to think about what it means that you have come into the world. And Lord, I pray that in uh, the quietness of this time, Lord, that we would not forget the challenge that your coming brings to the world and to us. Lord, we hear today that you acted in the life of this girl, Mary. Lord, and you, by your Spirit, enabled her to sing this song. God, today, as we, Lord, as we hear these words, Lord, we ask that you would now come and act in our lives as well. Lord, we ask that you would speak to us, that you would give us your word, and God, as Enable us, as Mary said, uh, for our hearts to magnify you, for our hearts to delight in you. And Lord, we also pray that, like Mary, that we would say, may it be to us as you have said. Lord, speak to us now through these words that you gave to Mary. Amen. So this morning we are going to learn to sing with Mary, to ask ourselves whether our hearts, whether our lives are in tune with the words that Mary sings about. Last week, we we began our Advent time by uh, learning to sing with Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 11, Isaiah gives us this vision of the kingdom of God, this vision that's coming to the world through Israel's Messiah. Isaiah's song in chapter 11 uh, comes at a moment in Israel's history where a storm is coming. It was uh, a time of peace, uh, a time where where things seemed to be going well, but people in Israel knew uh, that a storm was coming. Uh, The Assyrians were coming, and uh, the Assyrian army was on their way. And part of Isaiah's prophecies, really a lot of Isaiah's um, book, is about promises that this storm is coming and that God's judgment is coming on Israel, that Israel will be burned up like a forest fire is the image that Isaiah gives to us. But in the midst of this book where Isaiah warns about the judgment that's coming to Israel, there, is these, there are these words from time to time throughout Isaiah's book of hope. In Isaiah chapter 11, we heard about this hope that reminds us that God will not forget his people, that from uh, this burnt forest of Israel, that out of this stump, a shoot will come up. The Messiah will come up from Israel, that he will come and establish his kingdom on the earth. And the question and challenge that we heard last week from Isaiah is whether or not this, this vision of the Messiah coming this hope of Christ's return, whether or not that is our hope. Do we have this hope? When we think about our future, when we hope for a certain future, is the coming of Christ our hope? 
Are we singing Isaiah's song? Is the hope of Isaiah our hope? And this morning we're going to look at Mary's song and ask ourselves a similar question. Is our life in tune with Mary's song? Are you singing the same song as Mary? Yesterday I was listening to uh, one of Daryl Johnson's sermons on on Mary's song. Uh, Daryl Johnson is the pastor at First Baptist Church in Vancouver. Uh, Daryl is a great uh, preacher. Um, I would say that Daryl is the second best preacher in Vancouver. You all are here this morning, so you don't need to know me to tell you who the best preacher in Vancouver is. But... Now, Daryl is, uh, is, is a great preacher. He's uh, one who I'll listen to from time to time. I guarantee you Daryl wasn't listening to my sermons yesterday. Uh, but I was listening to Daryl's sermon on this text, and he made this great point in his sermon about Mary's song. He reminded us that Mary was the first Christian theologian. She was the first one to speak about and to reflect on an understanding that the Son of God was going to come in the flesh, that the Son of God was about to enter into the world, and about what that means for the world. And I think that was really a great way for us to think about Mary's words, and it really related well to what I wanted to say today um, about Mary's song, because this morning we are going to do three things as we look at Mary's song. Uh, we are going to first ask ourselves, who is God? in the Magnificat, Mary's song. And secondly, we're going to ask what this song says about what God is doing in the world. How is God acting in the world? And we're going to ask ourselves then the question, how now should we live because of who God is and because of what he is doing in the world? These are three questions that all theologians seek to ask and answer. Who is God? What is God doing? And how are we to act because of that? And Mary, the first Christian theologian, gives us some great and incredible answers to these questions. But before we dive into those three questions, I want to say a few words about Mary's song. Uh, the title of my sermon this morning is Singing with Mary. Singing with Mary. And this morning, we, we've sung a lot of songs about Mary, uh, a lot of songs about the image of Jesus in the manger and Mary uh, with Jesus. Away in the Manger is one of them that we heard um, our kids sing. Um, and Away in the Manger is it's really a lullaby, isn't it? It's a lullaby. And Silent Night, another song that we really enjoy uh, singing during this time, time of year, it's a, a lullaby-like song. Um, the song we just sang, A Little Town of Bethlehem, again, kind of a, a, a light, nice lullaby type song. And so when you look at the title of my sermon, Singing with Mary, there's a good chance that you may, in your mind, uh, begin to think about singing lullabies. As we think about this image of Joseph and Mary uh, and baby Jesus uh, in the stable. But we're going to learn about singing with Mary. Um, is that Mary doesn't sing here a lullaby. Mary's song, it's called the Magnificat. Uh, it's called the Magnificat because that is the first word in uh, the Latin version of this song. Uh, Magnificat means glory or, or magnify. This Magnificat is not a lullaby. It's not a song that will put you to sleep. In fact, just the opposite. 
It's a song that reminds us that God is on the move, that God is moving in the world, in fact, that God is at war with his enemies, and that in a very strange and unexpected way, God is about to move in the world in a way that he never has before and in a way that he never will again. He is going to enter into the world in the flesh through the womb of a girl named Mary. This is God's battle plan against his enemies. And according to Mary, because God is on the move, his victory is sure. We're going to learn today to sing with Mary, but the song that we're going to learn to sing is not a lullaby. It's a song about a revolution that God is bringing in the world. The message of this song is, is so revolutionary that in very recent history, in the, in the 20th century, that there have been countries where it has been illegal to read the Magnificat in public. Places in the world where we could have been in trouble today by sitting and listening to what Adrian read for us a few minutes ago. In the Philippines under Marcos, in Guatemala, in East Germany before the Berlin Wall fell, it was illegal to read the Magnificat in public. In the early 20th century, when uh, Anglicans were, were sending missionaries from Britain to India, the archbishop at that time named William Temple told the missionaries not to preach from the Magnificat. Christian missionaries in India at that time were already be, uh, perceived to be causing trouble, and he thought that the Magnificat, preaching the Magnificat to these people, would only make things worse. See some people grabbing their Bibles, and what is it about this song? What is it about this song that leaders, dictators, would be scared about? We're going to learn to sing with Mary today, but the song we're going to learn to sing is not a lullaby. The song we're going to learn to sing is a song that speaks about God, the Savior, a mighty warrior who will come and conquer his enemies. Luke chapter 1, verses 51 through 53. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. I've never seen that on a Hallmark card at this time of year. Leaders, dictators throughout history have heard the words of Mary's song and have realized that these words are a threat to their power and authority. That if people were to hear them, that they would realize and maybe not be so impressed with their authority. That maybe they shouldn't be so impressed with the power that they hold over their people because God is not on the side of those rulers and authorities like that. And that God is on the move in Christ and is going to bring salvation to the poor and to the oppressed. There is nothing quiet or gentle about Mary's song. It is a song about a revolution that God is bringing into the world through Christ. So let's look at these three theological questions. Who is God? What is God doing? And how should we respond? 
In this story, Mary has, has just received news from the angel Gabriel that she, a virgin, is going to have a child. She learns that he is going to be a king. She learns that he is going to be called the Son of God. And Mary, uh, after receiving this news, in her excitement, maybe in her fear, maybe in her confusion, we don't know, but immediately she goes and she visits her relative, you know, Auntie Elizabeth, because she's heard Elizabeth also is pregnant, miraculously, as an old woman who has never been able to have children before. And she goes, and uh, they greet one another, and there's this beautiful uh, story of, of Mary and Elizabeth greeting, with one, ano- greeting one another, and uh, Elizabeth's baby, John the Baptist, leaping in Elizabeth's room just as Mary is speaking. And as this scene happens, it's as if all of these things begin to be revealed to Elizabeth and Mary. Elizabeth says to Mary, how is it that the mother of my Lord would come to visit me? How did Elizabeth know that? If not, that at that moment the Spirit revealed it to her. And then Mary, uh, it, it seems like maybe she's, she's been confused about this message that we, she received, but there's something in this interaction with Elizabeth and this agreement and this common experience of this miracle that has happened with her and Elizabeth that now she begins to understand that it's true. And the words that the, the angel said to her are true, and she just wells up with this song. The Holy Spirit is moving in the lives of Elizabeth and Mary revealing to them some of the great plans of God. And so Mary speaks these words about who God is, about what God is doing in the world. Who is God in Mary's song? God is Savior. God is Savior. My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. That is how Mary's song begins. Mary, as a a young Jewish girl, knew the promises that God made to her people. Uh, But in this historical moment that Mary was living in, it seemed as if those promises were a long way off. Uh, The Jews at this time are a people in crisis. They're holding on. They're trying to remember the promises of God. But at this point in history, it seems that none of God's promises could ever possibly be a reality. It doesn't seem that there's any way that they could come true. This is a time in their history when they're being oppressed by, by the Romans, yet another foreign army in their history who is coming to oppress them. And so the Jewish people are people who are waiting and, and holding on to the promises of God, maybe lacking faith that they're ever going to happen. Certainly many different opinions among the Jewish people about how God would bring about these promises. But many of them were holding on to these promises. Faithful ones like Zechariah and Elizabeth and Mary and Anna and Simeon, these faithful believers that we hear about during Christmas, they were holding on to these promises, holding on to the promises that God would not forget his people and that God would fulfill his promises. And so when Mary sings this song, she's remembering the situation that her people are in remembering that right now they're little more than slaves despite the fact that God has promised them that they will one day be a great nation. Mary, as she stands and sings this song, is on behalf of her people hoping for and saying that the Messiah is coming, a Savior who will come and free them from the rule of their oppressors, 
a Messiah who will come and bring them freedom. And Mary was right. Jesus did come to be the Messiah, did come to set them free. But he was a kind of Messiah, kind of Savior that maybe most of them weren't expecting and that maybe that she wasn't expecting. Jesus was coming and he was going to bring a revolution that would do everything that Mary said that he would do, but would do it in a way that no one could have expected. God was going to bring about this revolution by becoming a suffering servant. While many of the Jewish people of that day thought that the Savior would be a military warrior, one who could, uh, could join all of the people of Israel together and to form an army and to destroy the Romans who were oppressing them, that is not the kind of Savior that God had in mind. In the Magnificat, God is the Savior, but he is not the Savior that many people expected. He's the Savior that all of them and all of us needed. God is Savior in Mary's song. What kind of Savior is he? What is God doing? That is the second theological question we're going to look at today. What is God, the Savior, doing? How is he acting in the world according to Mary's song? How is he going to save? According to Mary's song, there are a couple of ways that I want to mention today that God is acting as Savior. First, he is acting as the Savior by fulfilling all of these promises that Israel was hoping for. Verse 54, he has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. God is acting as the Savior by remembering and fulfilling all the promises that he made to Israel through Christ. This baby that is in Mary is not God's brand new plan, kind of uh, hatched out of God's mind out of nowhere. The birth of the Son of God is not God's plan B for how to save the world. Jesus is the fulfillment of God's plan and promises that he gave to Israel. That through them, that God would bring salvation and blessing to the world. And Mary's song reminds us that the arrival of Jesus in the world is the climax of this story that God has been telling since he called Abraham in Genesis chapter 11 and promised him that through him and his descendants that blessing would come to the world. Through the Son born to Mary, God's promises to Israel are fulfilled. God is acting as Savior by fulfilling his promises to Israel. He has remembered his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and to his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. God is also acting as the Savior by being merciful. Twice in this song, Mary sings to God, her Savior, as a God of mercy. Verse 50, his mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful. God is going to act as Savior by acting in his mercy. Mercy. This is the characteristic of God where he shows his love and forgiveness to us. 
when we did not deserve it. Receiving mercy is receiving forgiveness when we did not deserve it. Mercy is receiving the love of God when we deserved the opposite. Aren't you glad that our God is not like Santa Claus? He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good, so be good for goodness sake. That's not mercy. We get our gifts because we're good. God is a God of mercy. We receive the gifts of our Savior because he is good, not because we are. Amen? This is mercy. Our God is a God of mercy. Mary has received news that the Son of God is now present and alive in her womb. Mary has received news that God is now coming in the flesh to be the Savior of the world. This is an act of mercy. God did not humble himself and become flesh because we deserved it. God did not humble himself, enter into the world, and become our servant because we deserved it. God did not become flesh and save us because we were nice rather than naughty. This is an act of God's mercy and kindness to us because he is good, not because we are. God is our Savior. How is he acting as our Savior? By acting in mercy toward us. And Mary says that he is going to perform mighty deeds with his arm. What merciful, mighty deeds would this Savior do with his arm? In his mercy, this Savior would stretch out his arms on the cross and die for us. This is the mighty, merciful deed that God is going to do with his arm. Certainly Mary, at this time when she's singing this song, never could have imagined what her words would mean. That God, her Savior, the one who was now in her womb on that day, because of his mercy, would fulfill all of his promises that were made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, And that through this son, Jesus, her son would stretch out his mighty arm of mercy on the cross. And that this is the way that her son would be the savior of the world. In the Magnificat, God is the savior. He is acting as savior by fulfilling his promises made to Israel. He is acting in mercy by becoming flesh dwelling among us, becoming our Savior, who will die to defeat our enemies, sin and death. How do we respond to this message today? As we think about Mary's song, as we think about being a people whose lives are in tune with this song, how, how do we respond, how do we live our lives to this truth that God is Savior, and that he has acted as Savior by being merciful to us, and remembering his promises to Israel. The first thing we need to remember is that we need to be a people who Jesus calls poor in spirit. We need to be a people who know that we are in need of the mercy of God so that we can be ready to receive it. In Mary's song, 
It is those who did not believe that they were in need of God's mercy who come under God's judgment. Verse 51, it is, it is the proud who are scattered. It is the ones who think that they do not need God who God scatters. I'm going to read verse 51. I think about the story of the, the Tower of Babel. He has performed mighty deeds with his arms, and he has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. Think of the story of the Tower of Babel, where these prideful people gathered together. They all got together in this one place and said, we will build a tower to the heavens. And God came down and scattered them. God will scatter those who are proud, those who are not poor in spirit. In verses 52 and 53, it is the rulers who are brought down from their thrones. It is the rich who are sent away empty-handed. The rich and the powerful are always tempted to believe that they are self-sufficient, that they are not in need of God. Their wealth and their power have led them to believe that in their own strength, the work of their own mighty arm, that they are their own Savior, that they are their own Lord. And God is looking for people whose hearts are humble, people who know that they do need God, people like Mary who are poor in spirit and who are ready to receive this mercy that is offered in Christ. The mighty hand of Jesus outstretched on the cross is the hand that brings salvation to everyone. the poor in spirit who know that they are in need of this forgiveness, in need of this salvation, in need of a Savior. Those who think that they don't need God will not be able to receive this mercy that he offers. They don't need it. Their hands are closed to it. They cannot receive his mercy. We need to respond to God and the saving work that God is doing in the world by recognizing that we are poor and needy, that we are poor in spirit, and we are in need of God's mercy. And when we, when we begin to know this, when we begin to recognize our need for God and our need for his mercy, I believe that it's then that our hearts will be filled like Mary's was, to say, my soul glorifies the Lord. My heart delights in God, my Savior. It was really this opening verse this week that caught my attention the most this week. How Mary's song begins with her, the delight in her heart that she has from knowing God's salvation. My soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God's God, my Savior. Mary's heart delights in God. It takes delight in the salvation that he is bringing. And so as we enter into this Advent and Christmas season as we're preparing our hearts for Christmas. Those of you who were at the ladies' tea yesterday were reflecting on preparing your hearts for Christmas. As we think about whether our lives are in tune with Mary's song, I want to ask you this morning, is your heart happy because of the salvation that Christ brings? Do you take joy knowing who God is as your Savior, knowing that you are poor in spirit, but that God is rich in mercy. That God acted as your Savior, not because you were so good, but because he is so good and so merciful. Do you delight in this work of salvation that God has done for you in Christ? 
if you want to sing with Mary, if you want to sing with Mary, you must be a person whose heart takes joy from knowing that you need God and that God in his mercy has met all of those needs in Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that in our own lives, that like Mary and Elizabeth, that you would open our eyes to the beauty and glory of your salvation. That we would be able to see how needy we are and to see how merciful you are. Lord, that as we see that, like Mary, our hearts would, would well up and just say, we delight in you, God. That our soul, our heart, wants to glorify you. Lord, I pray that you would help us to know this salvation that you have brought to us. Lord, and that our hearts would respond and be happy, would delight in what you have done. We ask this in Jesus' name.